You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done. They've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now the Navigator Series comes in two options, the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now if you want to find out more about their high-quality awesome boots, you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com. Welcome to the DIY Sportsman Podcast with your hosts, Garrett Prawl and Boudreaux Boswell. All right, so do you want to, in this episode, go over the replaceable blade knife learnings that you've come across over the past several weeks you've been working on this? Yeah, we can. Okay, cool. Because I've been using Havilons for several years and have always wondered, do I want to go to a a non-replaceable blade knife? Thought to myself, does it make sense to try that and just work on sharpening as a skill or stick with the replaceable blade knives? But for you, I know you have a legitimate reason for wanting to go with the replaceable blade knives over one that does uh, sort of a, a permanent blade. Yeah, so a big reason, you know, kind of the background behind my whole quest down this replaceable blade knife rabbit hole is have done and do a fair amount of disease sampling for wildlife. And as part of that, you know, as you're doing different feral pigs or as you're doing, you know, different species, you need to have a clean, sterile knife for each individual sample so that you're not cross contaminating. So if you get one pig that has a, you know, pseudo rabies and then you use that knife you know, didn't clean it too well on another pig, that pig could also pop positive for pseudo rabies, even though it may not have. So that's where the, the replaceable blade knives come in is when you're done, you can simply pop that blade off and then run some hand sanitizer, wipe your knife down, put a fresh clean blade out of a sterile packaging in, and then take a sample from that one. So you may go through, you know, if you're sampling 10 pigs, you're going to go through 10 blades um, at a time typically. And, you know, you always want to just have the sharpest knife in the world. And when you're trying to do that many samples, it's 80 degrees outside and you're trying to get samples taken. Speed is of an essence. So you don't want to have to stop after you've, you know, cut three pigs and have to try to hone a blade, basically. Whereas each time you put a new blade on, that blade is extremely sharp going down the line. So for a guy who's just doing basically field dressing or animal skinning out in the field, do you think there's as much of a, a, you know, need to have a replaceable blade knife, or do you think that some of the advantages of the replaceable blade knives make sense, even if a guy doesn't have to do 10 sterile field pegs, for example? I think the advantages of a replaceable blade knife outweigh the, you know, especially backcountry, having to take a heavier knife or even a, like a, 
a benchmade altitude um, that's a harder steel, a little bit more difficult to sharpen in the field. Whereas you can take, um, you know, a replaceable blade knife and four or five blades and still be under that weight. Gotcha. And you don't have to worry about the sharpening, but you do have to right. worry about the blade replacement. Right. Which is a big one, especially for a lot of people is, you know, when you're, again, go back to the disease thing, you should be wearing gloves. If you're not wearing gloves, you should be wearing gloves. Uh, you're wearing gloves, your gloves are bloody, you know, by the time you get done with an elk or a deer, if you've hit a lot of bone, deboning it in the field, you know, that blade is going to be dull and then you have to replace the blade. So then do you carry a Leatherman, which adds weight to your setup to be able to grab the blade and take the blade off safely? Um, Havlon makes a little plastic clamshell, works pretty good for most knives, doesn't work well on every knife that's out there or at least all the knives that I've tested. Um, and then some people like, if you look at the Taito or Tito knives, depending on how you want to pronounce it, they have kind of taken a different stance on how you take blades off, and it makes it extremely safe to take off without having to use any type of tool. Interesting. thats I'll be honest, that's one of the things that I've just hated about the replaceable blade knives in the field, and I use them, right? I've used the Havilon quite a bit, but... It almost gets to the point where if I'm three quarters through a deer and it's definitely starting to lose that nice razor sharp edge and I'm having to work for it a little bit more, I'd almost rather just, you know, get to the point where I finish it out with maybe not quite a perfectly sharp blade, but get the job done versus having to replace one of those blades with, you know, bloody messy hands and risk cutting myself. Yeah. A lot of people take the stance of once a blade gets dull, they'll just break it off basically. So they don't have to deal with it. You know, to me, that's not the best option that you have out there um uh, you know you throw one of these havlon clamshells i think they sell them for it's a four pack for maybe six or eight bucks they weigh less than an ounce they're just a fraction of an ounce they work really well for again most blades um something like that really easy to take off the blades fully contained you're not going to worry about cutting your hand basically as compared to using like a leatherman squirt or some type of a small multi-tool okay that's really good to know so what does Taito do different that doesn't require that? So pretty much every manufacturer out there, you have to use, you have to remove the blade from the sharp side or the belly of the knife, if you will. Yep. The way Taito attached, made their the spine of their knife right where it attaches, it actually dips where the blade is. So with the Taitos, you can actually remove it from the back of the blade. So you're actually, your thumb is not against the sharp edge you're working with the sharp edge away from you, basically. Um, so as you have to, you know, you have to push that blade out to get it over the boss on the blade to be able to slide it off. With most of them, you're you're working that on the sharp side. So if your finger slips, your hand slips, you're going right down that sharp edge. Whereas with the Taito, you can do that from the back of the knife. You can push it out from the back, and then your hand is on the back of the blade pulling out. So you're working away from the sharp edge really ingenious when i first got it i was like what the heck is this why did they do it like this and then after using them for a while i was like oh this makes perfect sense why doesn't everybody do this interesting i'm looking at pictures right now online to try and see if i can visualize what it is that you're describing and i guess to me at first glance it doesn't look okay it's... i guess i guess i can i can see how yeah the that blade where, where it hooks in to the hole in the blade, it looks like that spine of the knife is exposed a little bit further back. It looks like that's where you would kind of put your thumb in to help lift that blade off. Yep, exactly. 
And then are you still having to, I guess, hold, um, further forward once you kind of press that blade away from the, the holder to be able to actually pop the blade off? Yeah, but you're doing that on the a back side of the blade, away from the sharp edge, basically. So even if your hand slipped, your hand's going to slide down the back of the blade and not slide down the sharp edge of it. Gotcha. So you're working everything away from the sharp edge of the knife. Really ingenious way to do it. And that titanium one I'm seeing on their website is like it's way ex- more expensive than the the Havilon, but 0.4 ounces, uh, and then less, still less than an ounce, including a blade in the sheath, which is kind of I mean that's pretty crazy light. Right. And so you're, you know, you factor, you know, most fixed blades, I typically don't even run them with the sheath. I just throw them in my kill kit and throw, you know, four blades in there. So you look at that TI from Taito, you're running, you know, sub half, little over half an ounce, you know, three quarters of an ounce for four blades, blade changing tool. You know, that's going to get me through any deer for the most part. And so then with that, that particular knife, that titanium version, it's it's a really minimalist handle design. Do you feel like that is as easy to use in the field and worth that less weight, or would you feel like for most guys it'd be easier to have a little beefier handle to be able to hold on to? So that's that's probably my biggest complaint with a lot of these is the skeleton design handle. Again, if you're doing maybe a deer, you know, something where you're not spending a lot of time on the knife you're not going to get hand fatigue as much when you're running through a lot of samples. Like if I'm doing numerous pigs, I'm, my hand gets tired of having to hold that, you know, extremely thin handle in my hand, you know, to the point where my hand starts cramping up, especially if it gets colder, things like that, where I find myself, you know, having to just flex my hand and then get back into skin. And for the most part, if you're doing it, you know, if you're hanging a whitetail deer up and you're just skinning it and then quartering it, doing things like that, you're really not going to notice that, you know, it's when you get into like an elk, some of the bigger things where you're really going to start noticing that hand fatigue over time of using that slim design. A lot of people like to wrap paracord around the handle of the knife, but you're not changing anything of the, of the knife. You're basically making it the same width as the same length, if you will. So, when you wrap it with paracord, you're widening the handle the same amount as you're making it thicker. So the ratio stays the same. You just made it slightly wider from belly to back and then just slightly thicker. But that ratio is the same as if it didn't have any paracord on it. Gotcha. So there's there's more to it than, than just the width, essentially. It's, it's a ratio on how everything balances out with how you hold it. Right. So if you look at the, um, again, back to the Taito knives, the... Uh, 1.0 or the 1.1 they actually made 3d printed scales to fit that handle and that was the best improvement on that knife that they have was putting the scales in they made it where you can even put like a size 22 blade in between the handle scales when it's clamped on there hard part about that is it takes a small hex to get the scales off it almost be impossible to get that blade out in the back country unless you had that specific size Okay. But just the ability to add those scales. Um, so another one that has scales on it is the Civilware knife. Um, I think it's their, oh man, I can't even think of the name of it off the top of my head. IBK, uh, interchangeable blade knife maybe. Um, it has very thin scales on it and has kind of a deeper finger well. Um, but you can take those scales off and run it skeletonized as well. 
it's better than most because it it does have those scales on it as well. Okay, and that one looks like another comparatively expensive one, hundred dollars for the the IBK. It looks like on their website, but yeah, definitely yes. definitely a lot with those side plates on that knife, a little bit more substantial to hold. Yeah, the sheath on that one's just a kind of a a relatively cheap, if you will, um, like nylon material sheath. It, you know, nothing special about the sheath that comes with that one, but I had issues with blades staying on that one. And again, blades are the biggest issue, right? So there's really no standard for the blade dimension measurements on how they should fit. So a 60A from one company may be completely different from a 60A from another company. And so once you get a knife, you always see people on forums ask, hey, does this knife fit a 60A? And it's like, well, what brand 60A? Because that can have a, a pretty big impact on how it how it fits and does it even work. And so like um, there's Cincinnati Surgical is a really good company, uh, makes good blades. Hey, uh, what is it? The parent company for Havlon Havels, H-A-V-E-L-S, I believe. Um, they're a surgical company. That's a parent company for Havlon. They're pretty much what most people use for blades to a degree. And then you look at um, Taito blades. They make their fillet blade, and then they, now they make this um, spork, basically. And they're actually a completely different cut than most every other knife. So like the uh, Taito fillet blade and their spork won't hardly fit on other knives because they make their blade slightly different or they make their connection slightly different. Interesting. With the fillet blade, those tend to be a little bit longer, right? So does that entitles is a non-folding knife? It's just a fixed, a fixed knife essentially that allows you to put those blades on. So I imagine that you just need a longer sheath, but it doesn't matter that the blade's longer versus a folder like a Havilon. You need to have a bigger actual knife to be able to run those longer fillet blades. Right. So I'm pretty much everything that I've dealt with is a non-folding knife. I can't stand folding knives for working on animals because you have the the channel where the liner lock is all that just gets gunked up with stuff i do have like the um, outdoor edge razor light i'm not a fan of it i have the havlon piranha which everybody and their brother has um and i'm just you know i just don't like the folding knives if you think about it you know take the blade off of them you're really only saving an inch overall length um so if you don't fold that up you know, that's the only difference is where the um, blade attaches. And so I don't keep blades on my knives. I always just keep the handle separate. And so then keep the blades with it, but don't have one on there at all times. So that's why I don't run a sheath. I don't need anything like that because there's no blade on the knife. The handle is just in my bag or wherever it needs to be. So I'm just not a fan of the folding style. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because I was wondering if you if you were just running them like without a sheath, especially, obviously you would need to have it with the blade off, but, but you've gotten to the point, obviously with some of these knives that you can just, it takes you seconds to pop on one of those fresh blades. And as long as you don't forget where you put your blades or forget your blades at the truck and, and just bring the handle, you should be good to go. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, like I said, running wherever my handle is, there's typically four to five blades right there with it in the packaging. Um, you know, I really like the packaging that a lot of companies put like, um, the Havlons that are vacuum sealed. I know like a uh, Gerber and Kershaw, they just send a, like a 2060 stacked on top of each other. Um, so not the 
the best way. Havlon also sells a, uh, a little clamshell package that you can put additional blades in. So they sell a, a gut hook and they sell um, a small saw blade as well. So things like that, they don't come in the clamshell packaging or in the vacuum seal packaging. They come in like the clamshell. So you can throw a gut hook blade, a small saw blade, and say five 60 XTs in that clamshell and close it. And then for if you're hunting, works fine because you don't really have to have a sterile blade. Basically, all those blades can be in contact with each other. Great way to carry the blades. Do you think that some of those other blade options that aren't just your standard, you know, 60A or 70A or whatever, get a little bit gimmicky? Or do you think most guys can should be able to do whatever they need to do with like a a standard 60A? Or is it? Do you think that some of those extra blades definitely serve to have some benefit for some users? Oh, I think. The ex, some of the different blades, my favorite blade's a, a 70 series blade. So a 70XT or 70A, it's a about a little bit longer than a 60XT. It's a lot thicker and it has a blunt tip. Um, so you're less likely to poke holes in things. To me, they run so much better. Uh, the 22 series, a 22 was not made for hunting because just taking a 22 blade off of a knife, you can actually bend it because that's how fragile it is. Whereas like a 22 XT, the same size, slightly thicker blade is a lot more robust. So if you're doing, you know, fine work, caping of a head, something like that, that's where I prefer to run like a 22 XT over say a 60A or a 60, a 60 XT. Um, some of those, they kind of phase together now. Um, but you know, the 70As to me are like my go-to. Uh, I typically don't carry a 60 series with me. I typically have the 70s uh, 22A, and then I carry a uh, Taito fillet blade with me because I'm running a Taito handle right now as well. Do you use the fillet blade for hunting at all, or do you just have that with you for for just always having on? So I carry it hunting with me um, more for elk. Like if I had to debone an elk, right, I have a longer blade to get down to that bone a little quicker versus making more cuts to get down in there, um, get around the bone a little easier. The blade is extremely flexible. Um, so it really works around the bone a lot better than say if I was just running a 70 series blade on there and that's, I just carry just one of them though. Um, I made a, like a clamshell packaging out of duct tape. So basically I took a strip of duct tape, laid it down on the table, stuck a Taito blade to it and then stuck another piece of duct tape over it. So that way I can just run that piece of, or that blade inside of that piece of duct tape in my pack. Okay. That's an interesting way of doing it. Um, would would you say that for like a whitetail guy, probably like a 70A and maybe a 22 if he planned on caping would probably be like the two, or I guess a 22 XT would probably be like the two go-tos? Yeah, I mean, for me, that's just pretty much always my go-to is the 70A and the 22 XT if you're doing fine work. Like if you're having to do, you know, like I said, caping of the head, things like that, that smaller blade gives you a little bit more precision in there. Um, the 70As, I just like them so much more. They're slightly longer, slightly thicker, and with that blunt tip, you don't have to worry about poking through hides or cutting through hides um, compared to using like a, a 60A, which has a fine point tip on it. And so those 70s might not work with something like a, a Havilon Piranha or something that's a little bit maybe smaller and designed for like the 60 series blades. You'd have to look into each individual knife and see what it can carry. Yeah, I think I know the 70As will fit the piranha series i don't know if it will fit folded up though um because the 70s are the 70as are made by havel which is a parent company of havlon 
So I know they fit that design. I just don't know if it folds with that blade on there. I would think it would. Um, again, I don't use the, the folding Havilon a whole lot. Okay. And for your non-folders, do you have like a specific preference for like fit and feel? Or is there certain things where one brand of knife might do really well in one category, but it might also suck at something else? Like maybe it's super light and that's awesome for carrying up in the mountains, but the handle's not great or, you know, vice versa for other, other things that you could look at. Yeah. I mean, each knife has its, its pluses and its minuses. You know, you look at just handle length in general. Um, I think the Taito titanium, the TI has got the longest handle. It's like a, oh man, I want to say it's like a five and a half inch handle. And then there's some of them, um, the Kershaw lone rock, they actually make a folder, but comes with a folder as a injection molded handle that they call the buddy blade. It weighs in it like less than a quarter of an ounce. Um, it's super lightweight, probably the lightest, one of the lightest weight knives you're going to find. But the more you use that because it's all injection molded. So the boss where the blade attaches is plastic. Mm -hmm. Yep. The more you use that, the looser and the looser the blades become because you're wearing out that plastic each time you put a blade on and take it off. So really good handle may not last very long. Um, you know, I wish they sold those in five or 10 packs for 20 bucks. I'd own a bunch of those, you know, whereas like you look at something like the, uh, Columbia river knife and tool makes one they call the precision disposable knife. So again, it's an injection molded handle with a 60 blade on it, but the blade is non-removable, right? It's a disposable knife. That's what, that's what it's used for. It's just one-time use. Then you throw the whole handle, everything away. Uh, relatively, I think they're 15 bucks for three or five of them. Maybe I can't tell you the number of times that knife has saved my butt because either had no blades left over or, you know, got a unique animal in the truck that it wasn't expecting to take and didn't have a knife in the truck to take samples with. I always have one of those in the glove box, able to pop it out, use it, works well. Um, you know, especially for whitetail hunter guys throwing one of those in your pack, you always have a knife in your pack, basically. They're right at an ounce, I believe, with the sheath on the blade. If a guy had a 3D printer, you could almost, with that style of, you know, plastic handle, design exactly what you wanted and then yeah just, trust me i know <laughs> and then just be able I've, to be able to print more whenever they run uh they run a little ragged i've looked at it and considered it multiple times because i really like that um lone rock series from kershaw and then i just got a new one in here probably oh i would say a week ago maybe from a guy out of north carolina i believe it's called mcginnis knives uh, McGinnis custom knives and his is actually a it's a carbon fiber knife but he uses a metal boss so the part that the blade attaches to is metal it is pressed in and then screwed in from the back side so it's the lightest knife I've ever seen I think it comes in at like 0.22 ounces um, and has a metal boss so it's pretty reminds me a lot of that Kershaw, but you're not going to wear out the blades, uh, the boss on the putting blades on and off because it's a metal boss compared to the plastic boss. It's lighter than the Kershaw as well. Handle's pretty small on it. It's probably my only thing that I'm not a big fan of. Handle's like maybe four inches. Is that one pretty expensive? Yeah, most all of your your high end ones. So if you look at like your Tidos, your um, Civilware, 
your McGinnis knives, most of those are that 90 to $110 range for the most part. And then I'm trying to think, um, you can pick up like the Havlon. Havlon makes a, a really cheap economic kill handle. You can also just buy them. Uh, it's a number eight handle is what it is off Amazon. I think they're five bucks. It's actually what the, like a surgeon scalpel handle that they've put a little plastic on to give a little bit more indexing on. They're like seven or eight bucks. So they're extremely cheap. I have a question. So what do you do when you're field dressing, say like a whitetail and you get through one blade, you're ready to go for your next blade. What do you do with that used blade? Obviously it's not probably ideal to leave it out in the field. Do you just shove it right back into the open package that you took the blade out of? If I'm running a, like a clamshell package or not a clamshell package, a vacuum seal package that I open up, then yes, I'm going to stick it back in there and set it to the side. And when I'm done, that's going to go right back with my unused blades. It's going to get stacked in the same pile. Um, if I'm running like the clamshells made by Havlon where I may be able to store four or five blades, it's going to go on the very bottom. So when I take that blade off and put a new one on, I'm going to set it right there. When I'm done, it's going to go on the bottom and I'm going to put the rest of the blades on top of it basically. Okay. Question number two, when you're field dressing a whitetail, do you, are you one of the guys that basically goes without a saw at all and just only basically field dresses up to the sternum and then just goes basically around the backside and around the pelvis, but doesn't actually go through the pelvis. Yep. Have you done, have you done it the other way where you actually do saw through the, the chest and the pelvis with the saw blade by Havilon or with any saw? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm close enough where I have a saw, then yes, I can, I'll saw all the way down through the sternum all the way down to the esophagus, basically make it a lot easier to get that blood out. Um, if I'm field dressing where I got a drag or something like that, then I'm only going to go to the sternum. I'm going to split the diaphragm and then I'm going to reach up and find the esophagus in there. And this is where, this is where you're going to lose most of your blades, right? If you don't have a blade that fits properly on your knife, when you reach up to try to find the esophagus, so you're going in blind, right? You reach up one hands on the esophagus and then you're taking the sharp knife in up above your other hand to cut the esophagus. Basically, this is where you're going to get hung up on stuff. And this is where I had the biggest issue with that silverware um, IBK is multiple times I would reach in there and go to cut the esophagus and I'd start cutting and then nothing. And I'm like, well, uh oh, and I'd pull the knife out and there would be no blade on that knife. I'm like, okay, so now up in this chest cavity somewhere is a loose blade flying around. (laughs) So I'd have to put it, pull my other hand out, put another blade on and then reach back up into this chest cavity again where I know there's a loose blade in here to try to remove the esophagus and pull all this out. And so that's where you really need to make sure your knife's your knife and your blade fit well, because that's where you're going to lose them. Yeah. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Um, and around the diaphragms as well. So anywhere that's why, you know, I'm kind of not a fan of folding knives is because they have pocket clips on them. So if you're reaching up inside of, you know, up in the chest cavity to get to the esophagus, you're going to start catching that, uh, pocket clip on the diaphragm, the heart, the lungs, all that stuff's going to start getting caught in there. And you need as much reach as possible up in there to, to get to the esophagus. Cause it's not like it's four inches. I mean, it's beyond elbow deep. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these, these points that you're bringing up are making me reconsider going with a, a fixed versus that folder that I've been using for the Havilon. 
can't say that I've had too many issues other than just blade replacement, but it sounds like the plastic clamshell blade removal tool might fix that. Yeah, it's a real simple fix. I think it fits um, fits most of your main manufacturer of blade or of knives. Uh, fits uh, the I think the Taito one point one. I don't think it fits the TI, and then I think it fits everything except for the Kershaw Lone Rock as well. Okay. Um, you know, like the, the Gerber Vital, right? Yeah. I know you got one of those with your Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Yep. Something or another. That knife only fits the 60 series blade, period. Uh, won't work on the XTs. Um, it will fit a 22, but the problem with that is the boss on that blade is extremely thick. So by the time you put a 22 blade on there, it you only have three quarters of an inch of working cutting surface. So it really doesn't do you a whole lot of good. Um, it's really nice the way you put the blade on and off, take the blade on and off. Um, but it's one of those ones that you try to put like a, a 60 XT or even a, a 70 a on there and it just, it won't fit. You're going to try and try and try and it's not going to fit. So again, that's what you need to know going into the field is what blades fit my knife. So that way I don't get in the field and trying to shove a 70 a on a, a vital knife basically. Yeah. That was something that, you know, when I signed up for that, like I was like, Oh cool. It comes with a knife. Um, and that was something that if you hadn't told me that I would have never known that it would have only been compatible with those certain blades. So that was definitely nice to, to know before I tried to go out in the field with a kind of knife that wasn't compatible. Yeah. When I started running disease work, that's all I used was that Gerber vital. It's got a really good kind of rubber textured handle on it. Fits your hand. Well, blades come on and off really easy. Um, and we had 4,000 60 series blades. So it wasn't that big of an issue. It wasn't until I was, you know, trying to skin a deer personal time. And I'm like, why won't this blade fit? And it's like, oh, wait a minute. Okay, let's put it on this handle. Works fine on this one. And so that's the big thing is just testing blades to figure out which one fit. And I've got a whole video I've done like twice now on this, but I'm going to do another one eventually. Um, and I'm going to go through each one of these handles that I have. I think there's... Um, nine eight handles i have total or nine handles i have total and i'm going to show like putting each blade on each handle um kind of how loose it is and whether it would even work or not and then show like removal with the havlon clamshell blade removal tool gotcha so i have right now there's Taito, havlon silverware outdoor edge kershaw columbia river mcginnis gerber am i missing anything Kestrel knives. Kestrel knives. Yep. Kestrel's got a uh, mountain. Uh, what is it called? Man, what is it called? It's spaced out. Mountains. Mountain scalpel knife. Um, it's a TI knife. Again, it's another one that's about a uh, about a hundred bucks, if I remember right, hundred and five, hundred and ten, somewhere in there. Do you have? an all-around favorite handle or is there pros and cons to everything you can't make up your mind um i really like the Taito ti i i wish they would make scales for it the way they made the scales for the 1.1 um i keep poking him and i'm like hey man do you want to 3d print some scales for this because to me if they 3d printed it doesn't have to be bulky scales um just you know you're already under i think it's 0.4 ounces you know to me, anything an ounce under is 
you know, really good. So even if they put a little bit of bulk on that handle, added a little bit of weight, that weight sacrifice is going to be worth the long-term comfort in my hand to me. And for you, you would just want basically that width to increase without increasing the height of that handle. Yep, exactly. So give me a little bit more of a bulbous handle to put my hand into uh, compared to, you know, not having that bulbous handle over time. Just that, you know, it's like trying to hold a, a butter knife. You look at anybody that runs knives, chefs, things like that, uh, chicken plants, they all have good handles on their knives because they're using their knife all day, right? You don't see anybody using a skeletonized knife, running a knife all day. Again, most hunters aren't going to be running that knife all day. What's it take to quarter up and field dress a deer 35 minutes? You know, 35 minutes, you're probably going to be fine in that amount of time. You get into an elk, you get into doing multiple deer, things like that is where that hand fatigue starts to come in, especially, like I said, in colder weather. Yeah. And that title one was like 130 bucks. Do you have a, a favorite budget handle? Um, oh. One of those plastic ones, maybe? Yeah, I mean, you can get that um, Kershaw Lone Rock series. It comes with a folder and that lightweight buddy blade. You can get them for like 22 bucks, and you get both of them and maybe a dozen blades. Um. I think you get them off Amazon for maybe 16 sometimes. But yeah, that um, Lone Rock, I modified mine a fair amount because it's got like a, a thumb swell on the top. It's not very conducive for, you know, reaching up in there because it hangs up on all kinds of things. So I took a Dremel tool and sanded mine down, put a little uh, finger well in it for my index finger so I have a good indexing on that knife. I'm looking at the blades for that one. Does that one have a different... The style of blade, or am I looking at the wrong thing? Uh, maybe looking at the wrong thing because they run sixty series, uh, they run twenty twos, and they—I don't think the Taito uh, fillet blade fits on them due to the way the back of the boss is cut. Okay, yeah, I must not be able to find it right now. I'm not deep enough into their website, I guess, to find the. You said it was the Lone Rock. Yeah, I believe it's yeah, Lone Rock, and it like I said, the Buddy Blade comes with the folding version. That's the only way you can get it. Okay, which sucks, it. but to me, it's worth the whatever you got to pay for it, basically. Yep, Lone Rock RBK is what I found it under. Yep. Oh, that one kind of looks also well. No, no, it doesn't. It looks like you also have to pick that one up from the sharp side of the blade versus the yeah, the you spine. do. Yep, you've got a and this one of the sixty series blades. I want to say it's the XT actually has a tab down there, uh, because most all knives were designed to work from the sharp edge. So the sixty XTs there's actually a tab that sticks out, so you can get a little more further away from the blade to push that out with. But that's what I like about the Taitos is you can work it from the back side. Okay. Yeah, it seems like that's. I mean, that's pretty much the only one. So, like, if you, if a guy didn't want to run, like, another clamshell or whatever to help remove his blades, does that title seem like probably the safest option if you don't have any other tools with you? Yeah, hands down. Um, if you weren't going to run a small clamshell to take the blade off or a multi-tool, you wanted something that you could take off by hand, bloody, slippery with gloves on, running that title from the back is by far the way to do it. Because, I mean, that's, like, one of the things when I am kind of running the numbers through my head, it's like, 
you know, if I, if I spend a lot of money to get this nice little sub one ounce knife, and then I'm packing in a multi-tool just for the sole purpose of pulling the blades off or one of those clamshells, granted the clamshell is not that heavy. It's like at a certain point you're carrying enough weight that you could have just gotten a heavier knife to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. You're losing your advantage by going to, um, the replaceable blade knife from that aspect. So I'm trying to reach over here and grab some of the blades and the clamshells and stuff that I have sitting here next to my next to my podcasting thing. So yeah, like the different blades. So the things I'm going to be showing in the video are like a 22, 22 XT, the Havlon series 60, the Weeby 60, which I had a hard time with their handle. I don't even have it anymore. Um, the Havlon 60 XT, the 60A, the 70A, the Cincinnati Surgical 60, then the Havlon saw blade, the gut hook, which, you know, if you are not very proficient at using just a regular knife to gut something, they work pretty well. And then the Taito fillet blade as well. How much more work do you have to do on that video when you think that's going to be up and on YouTube for people to come look at? Man, I'm hoping to have it done over, uh, what is it, Labor Day coming up. That's what I'm planning on sitting down and redoing it. Um, about the time I get it done, like I get it done, I get it edited, and then I'm scrolling through Instagram or somewhere and I find another knife. And I'm like, oh, hey, I bought this. And then I get it and I'm like, well, I might as well include it in this review. So I just push everything back and it's like, all right, well, <laughs> I'm going to use this knife for a little bit. And then the same thing happened. So I just got the, the Taito Spork in, which... From a disease standpoint, I cringed when I seen that. I'm like, <laughs> why in the crap would I take something that's on a bloody handle and stick a spoon on the end of it and eat from it, right? But I'll admit, I'm one of those guys that's been up on the mountain before and then looked around for an hour and only to figure out that I left my uh, spoon back at the house. And I'm like, well, crap. So for the weight of that to throw it in my pack as a backup spoon, you're not going to get a backup spoon any lighter than that. I'm already carrying the handle. You know, some hand sanitizer, alcohol wipes on there. If I had to, I would probably eat off of it, but it's definitely not my go-to to eat from. Well, aren't you, uh, aren't you bleaching your handles after every hunt anyway? Yeah. Oh yeah. My handles are like sparkling clean for 90% of the time is because they get hand sanitizer baths multiple, multiple times. Um, I'll just pick them up, squirt hand sanitizer. That's what I like about a fixed handle is, you know, something that's like this Kestrel or this Kershaw, not the Kestrel, is you just squirt some hand sanitizer in between your hands and you can run it up and down the blade because it's a fixed handle. It fits in your hand really nicely, um, cleans up really easy. So that's one of the, the things I like about it. Yeah, that makes sense. How long is that? That The spork looks pretty short, but with the, with it on the handle... Is it like the length of a normal backpacking spoon or is it like the length of one of those extra long backpacking spoons? It's a little over nine inches, I think. Um, total overall length is about nine inches, I would think. So it's not like a uh, morsel's fork length, which is like a foot, but it's, I mean, it's long enough you could reach the bottom of a mountain house without getting too much on your knuckles. Again, it's, to me, it's in a pinch you're going to use it. You're, it's not going to be your go-to to me. Um, so... In that case, I think that would work fine. Okay. And does that but does that spork feature fit on most of the other knives, or the title being a little bit different? Does it yeah, pretty much I, is it specific to Taito? 
Yeah, it's pretty specific to Taito. It does fit on one or two other model knives, um, but Taito's pretty sneaky on the way they made their their cut for their blades. Basically, they made it. They made the slot on their blades about oh a hundredth of an inch smaller than everybody else. So when you go to put it on other brand knives, their boss, which is the part the blade goes on, is actually just too wide to fit on the Taito series of blades. Um, so theoretically, if you really wanted to make them fit, you could break out a file and do a little file work and get them to fit. Uh, but for the most part, that's the that's one of the limiting factors. The other big limiting factor is behind the boss. Um, so Garrett, I'm going to show you this and maybe you can see it. Um, is you see the cutout that's right back here where the blade indent would go. Yeah. Um, so behind the boss, they cut out a shape so that when the blade locks in, it sits flush with the handle for the people who can't see. A lot of that is the second issue on why blades won't fit on handles is because if you look at the back of some of these knives or the blades that go on the knives, the angles are slightly different. And so while it may fit on the boss the blade doesn't lock in behind the boss completely. So therefore that blade is actually already kind of propped out like you were taking it off. So if it gets hung up on something, that blade would slide right off. Even though it looks like it fits, it felt like it fits, um, the angle is slightly different. And so the Kestrel knife is a prime example of one of those that has the design on the behind the boss, the way they cut it for that angle is different. And so it doesn't always, the blades don't always lock into it very well. Is the safest thing for somebody to do if they don't want to accidentally get mix-matched just to buy blades from the manufacturer of the knife themselves? Uh, I'm going to say no at that point. You're going to want to know what blades fit that handle because a lot of the blades you get from the manufacturer, especially like if you go with Kershaw or um, Gerber, they're just bulk crap blades. They're not as sharp as if you went out and bought like a a Havlon brand blade or a Havels brand blade or a Cincinnati surgical brand blade, for example. Um, they're just not as sharp. They're, the quality's not there. I just wonder if they're just quality rejects that didn't make it from some of these other manufacturers. You know, Kershaw or Gerber bought them up by bulk because they're pretty cheap. Um, I don't know. That's just speculation. But to me, if you can get, you know, in that name brand of being able to run like the Havlon blades or the Cincinnati Surgical, your blades are going to be a lot sharper. Um, for the most part, all your XTs, there's a little bit of difference. Um, like the Cincinnati Surgical 60 actually has less blade surface area than a Havlon 60, um, which is good and bad from a degree depending on what knife you're using. Cincinnati Surgical. So you can you can basically just either from that company or you can, you know, Google Havels or whatever, buy blades just from them as opposed to buying, you know, like a Havlon blade on Amazon. You can go basically directly to those companies and search for those brand names of those blades and know that you're getting a quality blade. Right. Yeah. And for the most part, yeah, the Havlon, anything that's a Havlon or Havels blade, you're going to have a, a real good, reputable um, quality blade, whereas some of these other blades get, they get pretty dicey pretty quick. Um, again, I'd stay far, far away from just the 22 series blade. Um, if you're going to do a 22, you have to go with an XT because they're, the 22 is just so much thinner. You will bend them 
putting them on and taking them off a blade uh, just because that's how thin they are compared to an XT, which is just thicker, blunt tip. So all the X, all the XTs have a blunt tip, and the 22s, in addition to being thinner, have a sharp tip, which is not necessarily what you want on that small of a blade anyway? No, they threw you for a loop. So the 22 XT has a blunt tip. The Havlon 60 XT does not have a blunt tip. Um, so... I, they used to. I don't know if they just discontinued them and still labeled them. Oh, those are six seventies. But so this is a a brand new sixty XT in a Havlon package right here. Um, when I open this up, you can see there is no blunt tip on that blade whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the downfall. When the blade comes out, the package says XT on it, sixty XT. On the blade, it's just stamped a 60 stainless, even though it's in an XT package. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense from that aspect. Don't know why they did that. But um, again, that's just the Havlon. I really like Havlon's packaging with their blades. They send them in these press things, and then they actually have cardboard lining them. Uh, They will, if you carry them around in your pack long enough, they will eventually poke through the seam on the very end, though. That's the downfall. So try not to carry the same blades forever in your pack. Some of those blades, I remember buying like a 12-pack or 24-pack or something, and it actually came in like a plastic housing that held all of those, that big package of blades. It just provided one extra little layer of protection. Yeah, so like Havlon sends like a clamshell that looks like this. It's about two inches long, half inch wide. It'll hold about, oh, I would say eight blades in there, depending on the type of blade. And then... The Gerber and Kershaw's, they may hold 20 in a package, um, and they're just horrible package design. I got one sitting here somewhere, but I can't find it. So they're just 25 blades shoved in a, a package. I know the Gerber, they also sell a blade dispenser slash used blade uh, receptacle, if you will, a, a sharps container is the word I was looking for. So it'll hold like 15 uh, 60 series blades. You push a button out, like you slide a button out, and it will slide the next blade out to you. Take it out, put that blade on, and then next to that is just a slot in the plastic where you can drop your used blade in. Uh, Really like the idea. Um, It's just pretty heavy and bulky for what it is. Do you know what the, like, actual like method that you're supposed to follow for blade disposal is like once you get back home, can you, can you throw them? I mean, like at work we have sharps, sharps disposal, like boxes for blades, but we don't have those at home obviously. So like, is it bad to just throw the blade in the garbage? Are you, should you shove them into something and then throw them (laughs) into the garbage? Like what's the best thing to do about actual blade disposal? Man, that's a really good question. I'm like you, I have access to sharps containers at work. So all of mine just go in sharps containers. Um, I would imagine, you know, theoretically you could put them in some type of bottle or jug and take them to your local health department and they would dispose of them as a sharps container. Uh, Because theoretically anything can serve as a sharps container as long as you only put sharps in it. So we used to use soda bottles, whatever. We just drop them all in their sharps containers, basically. Uh, That is a really good question. I don't know the answer to that and I don't know the best place to find the answer for that. I feel like I've heard or read about people just taking like a piece of duct tape 
like two pieces of duct tape and just like sandwiching them around the blade so that you kind of almost create like a vacuum seal package that the blade came with originally. That seems like it would at least provide a pretty good level of protection over just the bare blade. Oh yeah. There's no, I mean, anything over the bare blade, uh, would be better, you know, just throwing a bare blade in the trash is just asking for a disaster. Whereas like you said, if you just put duct tape, you know, two pieces of duct tape or one long piece laid on there, fold it over, you know, anything where you're preventing that sharp edge from getting your trash guy or some dude in the landfill or wherever it's going to go. Um, you know, that's a really good question. Yeah. So if anybody listening knows a really good answer to that right now, the best thing that I'm aware of is just the duct tape sandwiched around the blade. So if anybody's got something that's like, Oh yeah, this works way better. Let us know. Um, and then we might do a post about it and let everybody yeah, else absolutely. know too. I, I would be curious to know. I mean, I would assume the proper method would be to take it to a, in a short, some type of container to a, like a health department or something, but I don't know as general hunters, most people leave them in the woods. I'm not a huge fan of that personally. Um, you know, teach their own, but you know, might as well pull it out or take it with me compared to just breaking it off and leaving it out there. Right. Okay. Well, anything else replaceable blade knife related that is noteworthy? Uh, if you're a sheath guy, you know, you can look at the sheaths, the Taito, the Kestrel, they come with relatively good kydex sheaths the one thing i will say the kestrel has a leg up they did a pretty cool design in their sheaths so when you put the knife in the sheath on the back side of the sheath they actually drilled a small hole in one side of the sheath and that is so when the knife is in the sheath you can actually look to see if there's a blade attached to it because you'd be able to see the metal through that hole whereas like in the Tidos, it's just a completely enclosed sheath you push it in you know, you got to pull the knife out to physically see if there's a blade on that or not, because nothing would suck worse than to have a knife and a sheath and be like, yeah, I've got a blade on it. And then you get out there and pull it out and be like, I don't have a blade on it. <laughs> right. Right. So you're getting ready to just get an animal and you're out of knives. Yeah. To me, it was a, you know, it's a three sixteenths hole in the plastic sheath, the Kydex sheath. That's just ingenious why they put it there. Uh, you know, the, RBK from Civilware. It like I said, it's a cheap kind of crappy plastic sheath, nylon sheath that Velcros. You know, if you're a sheath guy, that may be something to consider to sway your purchase because you are paying you know a hundred bucks for a, a Taito or the Kestrel, but you're getting a pretty decent sheath with it compared to most companies. Looks like those run about ten bucks to fifteen bucks depending on on which. Uh... Well, I guess the, it looks like the mountain scalpel, 20 bucks for the sheath from Kestrel for one of those like camo replacement ones. Right. And I think they make them in the Kuyu Vias and Verde. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think the one I got was black. Um, for the most part, handle color. This is another thing. Uh, most all of your replaceable blade knives, I think with the exception of the Gerber Vital, has orange on it. Uh, the Taito, you can get. 1.1 in like um, orange or green and then the Kestrel they now make it in orange for the most part most of them are black uh, I think the Havlon economy one the number 8 handle you can get in like a baby blue or a royal blue um, so if you're concerned about setting your knife down and losing it 
um, that is something to consider as well. That's, that's totally me. I, uh, in the adrenaline of a kill, I oftentimes set stuff down and don't remember where I put them. Just yeah, like, I, just like my tether last year in Missouri. Yeah. I, trust me. I know. <laughs> I know, man. And then didn't we have the same problem with your knife? You set the knife down and we looked around for it and then you actually stuck it in the tree at like head level. <laughs> yeah, it's probably something and like it that. like took us like four minutes to find your knife and it was like oh it's in the tree it's like, why would you stick it in a tree yeah. but yeah those are you know those are small things that the more you use a knife the more you kind of you kind of figure out small details like that that would be great to have is you know some people just don't like orange you know? but in a knife like you said you're working a night you set it down in the grass you kick a leaf over it where the crap did my knife go um, so just the little things make the details, especially when you, when you are paying 110 bucks for a, a replaceable blade knife, good gravy. Um, uh, that's pretty expensive, but yeah, well, you know, the small details like that can add up. It seems like a pretty easy improvement to make on that. Something like that too, would be to get like that reflective, either like reflective arrow wrap material or just like the reflective material that you put on signs that you can get at any hardware store that's dirt cheap and just put little strips of that on the handle. Yeah, I'd like to see some of these people make um, like glow-in-the-dark scales for them. So that way, you know, in the dark it glows. It's kind of a whitish green in daylight. But again, you know, what we're doing, most of the time you're going to be working in the dark. You may be working in daytime. But just having that ability, you're not going to lose your $100 knife because it's, you know, titanium or aluminum or whatever it's made out of. Yeah. Yeah, now that we're talking through a lot of this stuff, I'm probably going to take all my knives and go put reflective wrap and glow paint on them. <laughs> yeah well scrap arrow wraps put them in like the inlays of the handles and stuff yeah well cool that's about all i got i'm i, I kind of talked I'm, myself out yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the video uh, and being able to especially see like the you know the various blades with the various options and see kind of what fits and what doesn't and and be able to visualize what all these handles look like side by side yeah the other one i've got that I didn't really talk about is another replaceable blade one, but it it's much bulkier. It's the new Havlon Talon. Um, it's massively huge. It's more for like fillet blades. Um, it's got a blade that's got a gut hook on it. It's a different style. They're not the 60 series. Um, I have that knife. I've kind of left it out of this review because this is more kind of based off that 60 series design review. Yep. Um, compared to the Havlon Talon, I do have that knife though, and I have used it a little bit. Um, I haven't used it a ton. Yeah, I had ordered one of those. I think it was a Titan or a Hydra. I think it might have been the Hydra that I ordered from Havilon thinking, oh, what if I want to use a saw blade or something? You know, I had the option and I got it. I was like, holy crap, this thing is way bigger than I was picturing online. And I ended up returning yeah. it because it was just so big. Yeah, the one thing I will say about that Talon is you can use it on a stone and rehone the blades. To me, it's more of a, a truck knife. Um, you know, a going on the boat knife for the fillet blades because they make six, nine, and twelve inch fillet blades for it. Um, but it's to me, it doesn't fit this category as much as you know, like the Tidos, the Kestrels, the McGinnis knife, um, things like that. How about the? Um, do they make? Do you know if Avalon makes a fillet knife handle that is fixed, or are they all folding? Uh, you mean uh, just a handle, like for the 60 series blades? For for like their longer fillet knife blades, because the, the handle for that might be a little bit easier, I was thinking, to to handle versus. It's a, 
it's a different size cut than the 60 series. So you might not be able to put those 60 series blades on yeah, that they same won't. boss. Yeah, they won't fit. Okay. Um, I know what you're talking about now. It's not the piranha. It's the Barracuda. whatever it is. Barracuda. Yeah. Um, that's what it is. But it's a completely different size cut on the boss than it is for the 60 series. So these knives fit the 60s, the 22s, and the 70 series blades. Okay. That's good to know. Well, I think that's all I got for, for questions. It's definitely making me think about some of the things regarding my knives that I might want to look at or upgrade or change or modify or, or whatnot. Yeah, especially if you're counting ounces looking for the lightweight version, you can chase the rabbit down the hole with this. Um, if you're just looking for a good quality knife, you know, there's quite a few. I mean, you're only saving a half an ounce, three quarters of an ounce on most of these for the most part. Yeah, I was just looking at the Taito, the titanium versus the regular. It's like twice the price, and you save like half an ounce or one yeah. ounce or something like that. Yeah, I like the um, the grip layout on the TI compared to the 1.1, but I like the the fact that I can get grip scales for the 1.1. Um, again, they're just to me they just look 3D printed would be my guess. So that's my 1.1 with the grip scales on it. Um, I just like the grip scales to me. Yeah. They make the knife so much better without the grip scales on it. The knife was just too uncomfortable in my hand. Uh, the TI not as bad, especially without grip scales, but with man, it just makes a night and day difference. I wish they had done orange grip scales, grip skins. I think is what they call them. Um, I wish they had done them in an orange color. Are you familiar with black? Are you familiar with the, uh, that like Instamorph? That, like, moldable plastic stuff? Yes. I wonder if you'd be able to take some of that and form it around your skeletonized blade and be able to get that same type of shape that you want. Yeah, it's it's funny you mentioned that. I have I have tried that before with using, like, Chicago screws to mount it together and putting just big gobs of it on there and then taking it to a sander to try to sand it down. Um I think it could be done pretty easy. It adds a lot of weight. The problem with that stuff is it's extremely slick once you start to grind it down. Uh, and so it makes it makes the handle uh yeah, I'd use a reference, but uh it makes the handle pretty slick. Gotcha. Good to know. That'll do it for this episode. As always, make sure to follow the Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Leave us a review on iTunes. And if you're looking for additional content from Bobby and myself, such as that upcoming video where Bobby goes over all this knife stuff. Subscribe to the DIY Sportsman and Boudreaux Boswell on YouTube. If you're looking at getting a new bow, make sure to give New Breed a look. They are a direct-to-consumer manufacturer that allows you to customize your bow online and have it shipped right to your door. Use the code DIY Sportsman, all one word, for $50 off. And with that, thanks for listening. <laughs>